That was my, my fault. <laughs> um, I'm going to read from God's word this morning in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet there was another who said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That is God's word. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, I, I hope you are enjoying the new mercies of, of God this morning. It's a beautiful morning here at Crosswinds. I'm so glad to be with all of uh, my church family here and my family online. I see Kathy and Catherine and Patrick. Anybody my age knows what I'm talking about. The rest, that didn't go to you. And the people at home are like, what? Is it now two-way? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, well, uh, God is faithful. And uh, he... Um, if you're new to Cross Wednesday, I'm, I'm so glad you're here today with us and that you can come go on this journey and grow with us. You know, the passage I just read is often troubling to people. It's, it's a difficult one sometimes to understand. At, at first glance, it can seem opposite to our understanding of the compassion and love of Jesus. You know, as I have meditated on it this week, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me some new personal understanding of this passage. I've always known it's about the commitment to follow him, but the new revelation I received is what he wants us to be committed to and why. You know, to illustrate what Jesus wants us to be committed to, I will share with you first an experience from my life. You know, for most of you, I think some of you that are new don't know, but I was a professional entertainer for 37 years, and I, I traveled around the country as a comedy juggler. And, and when I was first starting out in the business at 18 or 19, um, I got to work with some really great vaudevillians and, and circus performers um, they were at the end of their careers. They worked in the heyday of vaudeville and, and, and circuses. And at 19, I learned so much from all these seasoned professionals and was inspired. But there, there was something about them that left me uninspired um, and something that made me discouraged. They all had a manila envelope. Now, this was before Facebook or smartphones. Actually, it was before even cassette tapes because um, at that time I brought sheet music for them to play in the background. So you young kids don't even know what tapes are. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and a manila envelope was pre-Facebook. They just carried around these envelopes. It was kind of like their profile. And um, it was low-tech Facebook. And they had pictures 
in this envelope of themselves performing in big shows all around the world. Some were doing incredible things like flying on a, a trapeze in magnificent costumes. Others were on stages in Vegas opening for big names like some of the Rack Pack guys. And, and they were some doing incredible feats like doing a handstand on top of another guy who was standing on somebody's shoulders on top of another guy who was standing up on his shoulders three high. And um, the spotlight was on him. And, and as a young performer, this inspired me. But what discouraged me was that now in their old age, they were hobbling around and doing a dog act or a magic act in the same show I was performing in. The glory of their careers was just in these tattered envelopes, in the pictures of days gone by. Some of them were bitter or at least unexcited now about what they were doing. Um, their focus was still on the past when they were high flyers. And I found this very sad. Because all their glory days were now gone and most were still just barely surviving until they died. They were full of complaints about, oh, show business was not like it used to be. And while I admired them, I was discouraged by them because they lived in the past. I vowed I would never have a manila envelope. You know, when I became a Christian, I was not a Christian at that time. It, it, you know, it seemed, though, to me that even though I wasn't a Christian, there was more to life than a manila envelope. At, at 28... At the peak of my career, I, I gave my life to Christ. I, I died to the need for the glory of the spotlight and started serving him. And now I am old and broken down. I'll be doing a show later today. And I don't have a manila envelope of my glory days as a performer. And when I speak to younger performers, I attempt to share the glory of the gospel with them. I tend to share with them the new work about what God is doing in my life right now. Because when I became a Christian, I also learned that among those who were supposed to be mature in Christ, there were a lot of manila envelope carriers. To me, the saddest conversation I have as a pastor is when I hear someone testifying of a joyful time when they were having gospel conversations, when they were reading their Bible, when they were enjoying fellowship with the body believers, and they were serving in the church. I often ask them, why did they stop? Because their lives now seem broken down and joyless. But often they just sit there and long for the glory days of faith. We can all go through dryness in our lives when faith seems maybe a little stale. But, but love it, that's not a destination that we stay in until we die. See, our commitment to Christ is what made us alive in the first place. And all we need to do is recommit and find that joy and that life again. Just 
sitting around talking about memories in the church in a manila envelope, boasting about greatness of church in days gone by, is certainly not a great witness to a living God who said, Behold, I am making all things new. You know, I could boast about past glories of Crosswinds Church and what God has done here. Over the last few years, we've lost a lot of friends. We've had, you know, all kinds of restrictions because of the pandemic and church is different. And it would be easy to get down or look at the past. But I would much rather share with you what God is doing now. Last week, Andre and Rena and Cleone were in Kenya and they were sharing the gospels with widows and orphans and, and they went to a prison and Andre preached there and 85 men in that prison gave their life to Christ. Amen? God is alive. And this past week, I decided, started discipling two women. And, uh, one here in the Chicago area and one in St. Louis and taught them to share the gospel. And the next day they got out and shared the gospel with two other people. Actually, one of them did it within a few hours. The gospel is alive. A young man that came to our summer and fun events with the youth decided this last week he wanted to be baptized. We had eight guests visit with us last Sunday and there were two young kids who went to Sunday school for the first time and heard the gospel for the first time. I, I would so much rather share with you about my amazing prayer time this week, which was just so encouraging with for me. And that Friday night, I was able to share the gospel with 20 people at my father's birthday party. Beloved, our faith is like manna. It's like, it's something that's to be eaten now or it spoils. The glory days of crosswinds are not behind. They're ahead. If we just simply look in the right direction towards him and follow into new life and not look back into past glories or past regrets. It's in the new mercies of each day following and fishing that we find our life in Christ. So beloved, let's dive in now to what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9 about following him to find new life. Verse 57, it says, as they were going down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Right here, God is sharing his word that life is a journey, not a destination. Jesus called people to follow him. See, Jesus is on the move. You must keep following to have his life in you, to have real life in your faith. You can't just sit in one place in your faith and having any life to it. Life is in the new, not in the old. Notice, it says, someone said to him, you know why we don't know this guy's name? He probably didn't make the journey with Jesus. Jesus knows the names of those who take the journey 
with him. Luke records names of people Jesus healed, or Luke doesn't record all the names of, of people Jesus But he did record the ones who followed him. And friends, those names are also in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus knows them because they travel in life journeying with him. In the scriptures, we are told that there will be many that think they are with him that really aren't. Because they don't follow him in new faith. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 22 through 24. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do any mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Chilling verse. The day Jesus is speaking of is judgment day. He's saying on that day, many who say they know him, he will not know. Because they're not on the journey in their lives with him. They may have some glory days, some great work or or, or testimony about what they have done. But they're always in past tense. Faith friends, is in the new. It's in the present tense, not in the past. People are looking to the past are looking to some dead works. And they're not being made new or transformed into his likeness. And they don't act enough like him to be recognized as his disciple. Matthew tells us the scribe was a very religious, it was a scribe, so this was a very religious person. Someone who knew a lot about God. And he was impressed with Jesus, and so he boasted, I will follow you wherever you go. And and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This isn't about Jesus being homeless. And Jesus is not trying to discourage this man from following him. No, it's it's because he knows this man is only looking for a destination and not a journey. Jesus is saying the life of faith is a journey and that we can't sit in a comfort zone of our past glories. To have faith that brings life, it's often uncomfortable is what he's saying. You're, you're, you're constantly growing. You're, you're constantly living. You're on the move and you're becoming something new. See, life in the natural world is comfortable. Foxes have homes. They have a place to lay. Birds of the air have a nest to go to. But following Jesus is not a comfort zone. It's not comfortable because the situation is always new. You are constantly growing and and you are on the move with him. It's saying the life of faith of a disciples is not a destination we lie down on and get comfortable and look back into our manila envelopes. There's no retirement from this journey we are on with him. We don't just sit back and look at pictures. To do that would be putting your life in the world, the natural world. 
And the natural world dies. But following Jesus is perpetual. Perpetual life. Perpetual moving. There's no comfort zone. Yes, Jesus rested. He is a good shepherd to us that will give us our rest and our refreshment. But rest is not a comfort zone. You know, the safest place for sheep is in the presence of the protector, the shepherd, on the move with him, not laying in a foxhole or in a nest of a bird like an eagle. Those places lead to destruction or death. Following him is what brings us life, not sitting in a hole, being comfortable in past treasures or past regrets. Life in each new day is following him as a disciple. When I, when I meet people and, and I'm discipling them, I have two questions I always ask. How's following and how's fishing? And then when I meet them again, I go, how was following this week? And, and how's fishing? And I give them assignments of what to do to follow. Because discipleship is keeping people on a journey with Jesus, not helping them meet a, a destination of knowledge. Too many Christians have reached a, a comfortable destination, and that's why their faith to them seems stale and lifeless. They stopped following. To be a disciple, you must follow and fish. Animals are not nourished by sitting in a hole or a nest unless they're babies. Mature animals go out and fish so that they stay nourished and alive. Disciples that don't follow Jesus and fish are either babies or they're malnourished or they're not really followers. Because Jesus wants us to live. He's willing to deal with our excuses And kick us out of the nest that we might follow and fish. At first, his kicks may not seem very compassionate. Jesus seems to be telling this man, leave your dead father unburied. But that's not what he's saying. Jesus is God and God does not contradict himself. The the Jews um, believe that the Torah taught that it was a son's or daughter's responsibility under the law to take care of your parents. It was considered an act of love and an act of honor. And, and Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees for their religious traditions that caused them to neglect the care of their parents. In Matthew seven eleven through 13, he said, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever I would have given you is Corbin, that is, I gave it to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, and thus you make void the word of God by tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do, because the Pharisees weren't following. Jesus is not telling anyone to neglect their father. He is dealing with an excuse from a man who is giving a good excuse not to follow. See, we can come up with all kinds of rationalizing of why we don't follow and fish. Do you know what rationalizing is? Telling rational lies to yourself and others. See, this man's father was not even dead yet. The man just wanted to delay 
following Jesus until a more convenient time. You know, people use their families all the time as an excuse not to follow him. Jesus, I am too busy to read your word because I'm making a living to feed my family. Jesus, I am too busy with the kids to come to life group. Jesus, I am too busy with my own family's need to serve you or have gospel conversations. And what Jesus is saying is that family obligations are not a valid excuse for not following him. And Jesus is also not pitting one obligation against another because both are important. The man's problem is he is committed to his family first and not God, which is sin, which is sin that leads to death, not to life. Jesus told us the greatest command of God was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is number one priority. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, the first man said, I want to bury my dad first. His priorities were out of whack for him to find life in Christ. Family is easily the number one excuse or reasons people don't follow and find life in Christ. Your, your family can either make you afraid to follow because they're mocking you or because they're wanting to control you because you are following Jesus and you're not meeting their needs for control over you. As adults, beloved, we are to honor our parents. We are to show them love. But first priority is always to obey Jesus. What we honor and obey are two different things. We always Show love and honor, not just to our parents, but to everyone. But but we don't obey the selfish needs of people when they conflict with what Jesus is telling us to do. Showing love to your family is going to take up a lot of time. But it can't be the first priority of your heart. Following Jesus must be if you're going to have life. Jesus is saying your first commitment is to me, not to your own culture or religious expectations as a son or as a daughter. You know, Elijah, or I'm sorry, Elisha, um, in 1 Kings uh, 19, uh, called uh, uh, a disciple, Elisha, to follow him. And Elisha is allowed to go home and kiss his parents and say goodbye and sell his affairs in his business and he sacrificed his oxen. And then he came and followed. Jesus is saying devotion to him is greater than it would be to a religious prophet like Elijah. Nothing comes before following him. He's God. When he says go, we go. You know, when disciples like Peter's were called to follow, they, they left instantly and followed him. Because he was to be the greatest commitment of their lives. Peter 
had a fishing business and he had just caught more fish with Jesus, more profit than he'd ever seen. And he left it all to follow Jesus. Peter had a wife and he temporarily left her at Jesus command to follow him. Beloved, doing this in your family is hard. It will often create conflict. But Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set man against his father and daughter against his her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will often be those in his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus is saying is even good things like a family can become our excuse to keep us from following him because it creates conflict. And many allow conflicts in their family to be their excuse, letting their fear lead not to follow. Jesus tells this man something shocking. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The reason he tells that to the man is because Jesus loves that man's entire family. The Bible tells us if if we don't believe in the gospel, we are dead spiritually. And if we stay that way, we will suffer death forever in pain in hell. Jesus is saying, let what is already damned be damned or dead and take care of the dead. But you come and follow. If you love your family, you don't use them as an excuse to stop following because you can't bring them life if you're not following. A spiritually dead thing can't bring another spiritually dead thing to life. You have to have new life to save them. And share it with them. Leaving to follow Jesus is the only thing that can bring us new life and save our families. And you know, often they're not going to like you leaving to go serve Jesus. But if you love them, if you really love them, you will do it. Because they will see life in you. Because you're keeping Jesus your priority. Jesus doesn't say go neglect them for golf or shopping or going to the bar. You know, people can selfishly neglect their family in all kinds of ways through Netflix and all kinds of fleshly reasons we can neglect our family. And, and friends, your, your, your following doesn't necessarily mean leaving them physically. It it just means giving first priority of your life to following and fishing. They may feel like you left them, but you're really loving them. Jesus 
also sent people to go tell their families what God had done for them, which is fishing. Notice this man didn't ask Jesus for permission to go and tell his father about the life-saving gospel before he died. He just wanted to be with them. It was instead an excuse to delay his following till someday after he died. His words to Jesus had no commitment. He was basically telling Jesus, hey, we'll do lunch sometime. And you know what that means. Unless somebody gets out their calendar. People do this all the time. Like, Jesus, I will follow you when my kids are old enough. Jesus, I will follow you after the travel soccer season. Jesus, I will follow you when I don't have this obligation to take care of my older parents. Jesus, I will follow you when it doesn't create any conflict with my spouse. Jesus, I will follow you after I get my kids through college. I need to work right now. All our excuses we give to following that can leave our families dead forever. Share another personal story. When I chose to follow Jesus, I was a failure in my family. My father was an atheist, and so we argued constantly. He thought what I believed was not healthy or good for me. He was not happy in my following because I never, no longer thought like him and followed in his ways. But I turned and followed Jesus first. My reasons why or arguments were not very good to persuade my father. But because I followed Jesus first in my life, my life started to have life. It started to change And eventually the argument of my life's commitment began to change him. He became an agnostic. And then one day, he called me out of the blue to give his life to Jesus. I was floored. This was 15 years later. But it happened because I did not stop following when he and other family members rejected me and often mocked me. I was so overwhelmed by what God had done, and I was a pastor at that point. I couldn't remember the words to (laughs) lead him to Christ. But I pulled it together, and he gave his life. I've seen many family members come to Christ. Though there are those that still mock me behind my back, because I don't follow them to every family function or every obligation, and instead I serve Jesus. It, it's because I love them that I keep following. I want life for them and everybody in Jesus. Me not making a dinner with them is not as important as them having life with Jesus. But obeying Jesus first creates family conflict. You know, I once told my father when he was visiting, he could not sleep in the same bed 
in our house with the woman he was living with because I had small children and that was not how we were teaching them to follow Jesus. Do you think that might have created a little conflict? See, I'm, I'm to honor him, not obey him in his lifestyle. Not having the conflict. Our, our, I mean, what I'm going to say is the conflict did not stop him from finding life in Christ. But but not having the conflict with him might have. A, a, a couple of years ago, my, my father got sick. And it was an extremely hard season of life. I had to care for him physically. For six months, I had to take over all his bills. And that during that time, I had to unload three properties and um, uh, sell two of them. And, and Jesus helped me through a, a, a very difficult time because I was following him first. My dad had a lot of stuff, and that's an understatement. For six months, as, past, as I was pastoring the church, I was also working my own business. And I was driving to Milwaukee, where he lived, uh, you know, two or three times a week to unload these properties and sell them. I left early morning and worked um, 10 hours a day in Milwaukee and drove the two, three hours home, depending on traffic, every day so I could be back and, and do the work of the gospel in the church. I, I had no time to read the scriptures. I, I studied God's word in my car, listening to audio files so I could preach and teach, and mostly so I could keep my sanity. I connected with people... Um, to encourage them and, and, and to offer support while driving back and forth. It was messy. It was inconvenient. It would have been so much easier to just tell Jesus, wait a little while. But see, Jesus is my refuge. And he is my strength. And he is my ever-present help in times of trouble. I needed to be with him. I don't tell any of this to boast about me, only to illustrate what can happen when you show honor and care for your parents and still stay connected and follow Jesus. See, every day in Milwaukee, I had opportunities to have gospel conversations with people. Workers I hired to help me. Realtors, metal scrappers that came and took away his junk. People who I sold my dad's stuff to, came and built relationships with me, and I shared the gospel with them. Some of his friends that helped and supported me, I was able to share the gospel with them. Because I followed Jesus, I had peace and strength through all of it. And his grace helped me accomplish something I believed was impossible. And I was able to show love and honor to my dad. Not perfectly. It was a stressful time. And I fail in love as a sinner like we all do. But this Friday night was my dad's 80th birthday. And by God's grace, he is stable and recovering. And at his party, I had the opportunity to give him a tribute And with it, I gave honor to my heavenly dad about the life found in his son. Twenty of his friends who in most cases and in the past had rejected my words, received them 
And I believe it's because they saw the life of the gospel in me as I followed Jesus and honored my father in his care. Jesus said, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Following Jesus doesn't mean being perfect because I send a lot in all the stress of that year. But new life is a new faith found in following and fishing with Jesus, not in you or me being perfect. And yet another one said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Many let the regrets of their past sins or what they used to treasure keep them from following Jesus when he calls. Friends, you can't find your life in what's dead. Either past glories or past failures. We find life in his mercy each day as we follow him in our daily lives. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Life is not found in the past. It's found in the new. And we can only stay in the new if we stay following him to the cross. Jesus was faithful. He plowed straight ahead to the cross for us. When a farmer plows, it is the ox who does all the work. The farmer's job is is simply to hang on and to keep his eyes fixed on a point ahead so that he can plow straight. Jesus is our faithful ox who loved us and served us and did all the work of our salvation by dying for our sins on the cross. He made it possible and allowed for something new to grow in us called eternal life. His forgiveness is what makes us new and allows us to keep growing. Jesus was committed to die and be planted in the ground like a seed so God could grow and create something new, a a recreated man and woman out of us. Something immortal. The, The shame And the stain of our sin is gone. That is old. Jesus didn't come and die to improve us. He died to make us new. We we can't hold on to manila envelopes of, of past glories or regrets and become something new. Instead, we must hold on to the plow. And keep our eyes fixed on Him 
and follow Him, dying to the commitments of our old lives so that we can have new life in Him. Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When we follow him, we must commit to being new. To being new creations. The old creation, looking back, is not fit for the glory of the kingdom of God. If today you're living in the past, either on past glories or past regrets, repent, turn from your old life, which is death in sin and shame. And turn and follow Jesus and let Him bring you new life and new life to others. Life is in the new. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you. And I praise you for how you have talked with me this week and given me new insights and new revelation. Thank you for the new faith I see in the newest faces here at Crosswinds. Thank you for the, the faith that I see in the young children as they, they start to follow you. Lord, I praise you right now because I know somebody listening to my voice or, or listening at home is saying, I need to follow you. I need life. I can't walk in the darkness of death anymore. And Lord, I pray that right now that they turn and commit to following you. You are Lord and you are Savior. And when you say go or come, we must do it. Because in that is life. You're not keeping something away from us. You're, you're filling us. You're, you're bringing us life. Lord, let them turn to life right now. Let their fears not hold them back, back faith. Faith is forward into newness. Fear is backward into the past. Lord, let them turn to you and follow. Let them find your love and your mercy new and afresh each day as they follow you. Lord, thank you for what you are doing. You will make all things new. Lord, you said, behold, I am making all things new. Lord, let us turn from the old and be made new in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you would like to make a new commitment to Jesus, I'll be here. And I would love to pray with you. Now's the time to follow. Right here in the presence. In the present. Not in the future. Not in the past. Right now.
Jeremy and this band's going to sing. And if you want to pray, come follow him.